the CEO of your life in biz? I'm Emily Alderson, and I'm on a mission to elevate the beauty industry one success story at a time. If knowledge is power and seeing is believing, imagine what could happen if you expanded your mind to the possibilities. What kind of shift could you make happen? This is Stories with Stylists. Welcome to another episode of Stories with Stylists. I'm so happy. My um, guest today is Nicole. She's in Hawaii right now, which is not a bad place to spend a global pandemic. So I'm excited to have her. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. This is actually my first podcast. So really? Yeah. Well, good. Um, it's actually a lot of people's first podcast, and it's my first time doing a podcast. So there we go. <laughs> We're all like in it together. Love it. So um, first question for everybody, where are you from and what led you to cosmetology? Um, okay, great. So um, I'm originally from the island of Kauai in the middle of the Great Pacific. We are one of the islands in the state of Hawaii, and I was here from the time I was very young, three years old or something, all the way until I turned about 16. Um, And my mom moved us out to LA. She got accepted to Loyola Marymount College and my mom had me very young. So we uprooted our family, moved to Los Angeles. I very quickly um, realized that school wasn't exactly for me. And so I tried a number of small little jobs. You know, I worked at like Lisa's Cookies and Warehouse Music Store and I got a job um, at at another music store and I went to go get my hair done. And my grandma was like, your hair is hideous. Like we need to work on this whole situation here. I was very confused on my look at the time coming from Hawaii and so many fun looks in LA that I kind of took on a lot of different things that didn't go well together. So she she sent me to the stylist and I sat down in the chair and um, the stylist's name was Jerry Tyler. And at that time, he was the head of the state of California apprenticeship board. And he said to me, he's like, listen to me, you're not going to work in a music store. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to come here. You're going to learn how to do hair and you're going to have a profession and you can do whatever you want with your life. But if, as long as you have this, you'll be able to make money anywhere you go. And so that's what happened. I immediately got the job washing hair and I was um, an assistant apprentice for two years at Carlton Hair Marina Del Rey. So did you do, did you do like apprentice through the salon or you went to cosmetology school and then? No, I did an apprenticeship through the salon. And um, at that time, Carlton Hair International was a huge training hub. So they were partnered with Vidal Sassoon. So we were to go to the, you know, the training courses at Sassoon for, you know, classic cuts, creative cuts. And they were like week intensive courses that we would have to go and fulfill. And then every Wednesday, we would be out of salon and actually in a specialty salon just for training. And so all of the senior stylists would have a day where they would come in and go through, you know, whatever their specialty was and would train us to do um, our practical stuff, you know, just whatever we had to do to pass the test. 
which everybody knows nobody uses any of that stuff in the salon, but um, there was details. I actually didn't complete my apprenticeship program. I stopped about two weeks before um, I was complete with my hours and I got in a really bad car accident. It was kind of like a whole deal. And so I decided that instead of going back to the salon, I wanted to just go complete my hours at um, a cosmetology school. So I went to school for a month, finished my hours out and in Culver City and got my license. And that was that was history. I always think, I think the apprenticeship is such a cool opportunity. I remember like the first time I heard about it, I was maybe a year or two out of school and I'm like, what? I could have actually worked at a salon and got paid instead of like wasting my time rolling perms on a doll head at school, you know, you get such more, so much more, um, like real world view of what the salon life looks like. Absolutely. And you have to be an assistant in LA. I mean, I don't know how it is in other States, but if you want to work in a high-end salon, you know, some with more niche clientele, you would have to, um, be an assistant anyway. So you would go to school you would do the whole deal. Then you'd have to do a year of training in the salon as an assistant, as a licensed cosmetologist. By the time I had gotten into um, a Beverly Hills salon, I had already had two years experience and a year behind the chair. So that was pretty cool. So did you just fall in love with it right away? I mean, how crazy that that guy was just like, Nicole, this is what you're doing. I'm changing your whole trajectory. (laughs) Well, you know, at that time, I didn't really have any um, major plans for my life. I knew I wasn't going to go to college. That was never my thing. I've always been a creative. Um, I've always been very social. I like, you know, the party and and to get paid to be at the party was kind of like <laughs> an all-in-one. Um, yeah. Always, I've always played with my friend's hair. You know, I've always been that girl where, you know, everyone comes over and we're dip dyeing people's hair and food coloring and mixing the different food colorings to make different colors, you know. Uh, And so it was, I got extremely lucky that it seems to be the trend in my life, really. (laughs) Like I have been divinely guided in everything I've done. It's kind of just been like, and this is the direction we're going to gently go this way now. <laughs> and I just have always kind of gently followed along, you know, in suit of where life has brought me. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because I'm just getting a little ahead of us, but um, do you, like looking back, I mean, I personally think that we're all divinely guided, but do you think there was something along the way where you still have to follow that, right? Like, we all have little pings and we can either choose to listen to them or not. So there's something in you that goes with the flow maybe or goes in the right direction or do you feel maybe like uninhibited by what you're supposed to do or need to do? Because a lot of people just saying I'm not going to college isn't enough for maybe their parents or society or that sort of thing. And you're just like, nope, not for me. Yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, from a very young age, we're all taught to conform. You know, we're all taught that, okay, this is what we do next. 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 And when you're in kindergarten, even like, you know, they'll say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they Mm -hmm. give you like a list of five things. You either want to be a teacher, a veterinarian, a fireman, a cop, 
And like, nobody attaches a salary to that and what kind of lifestyle you're going to be living. Right. Mm -hmm. like, they, but they give you this little box and you just check, check, check all the way through. And I really feel, you know, I'm very fortunate in the, my mom is, you know, she did the high school, then she graduated, she went to college. And, but my dad came from another country. My dad's originally from Argentina. My dad's profession, he was a, um, a professional skateboarder. So he had chosen a very alternate lifestyle and life. And my parents were always to the nature of, you know, what makes you happy. And a lot of times we don't know what makes us happy. So we'll just fall into the whatever it is. For me, you know, if, if something excites me, I'm, I'm in, I don't care what we're doing. Like, I mean, it could be at this point, I have better judgment, but like, even <laughs> as a teenager, you know, if everyone's going to the beach, I'm going, like, I want to know what's going on. And that goes all the way from being really young and curious. You know, my parents would have a party. I'm not going to sleep. I am sitting behind that door, listening to what's going on. I want to know the tea, you know? Just a, just a touch of nosy, but like enough to be excited about what's going on. Like I always have that curiosity and excitement mm -hmm. of what could happen instead of fear of what could happen. I'm more like, I mean, what's worst case scenario? Really, you know? And yeah. that never just seems that quite that bad. So um, I just kind of followed in suit and did it. It, it, it felt right and felt good being a hairstylist. Um, I, I was, uh, there's two different kinds of hairstylists. Okay. There's the ones that are born with natural talent. It's the same thing with, um, you know, sports players. You can be born with just incredible physical ability, which I have none of like my best physical thing that I do is walking in heels. Like that's the most yeah, right. athletic I get. So but um, I happened to be one of those naturally creative people. I could look at a haircut and just recreate it. But the problem was is that I had no idea how to recreate it, right? So I had to learn the roadmap. You had to learn the different cuts and techniques and, and exactly what was happening uh, if you wanted to recreate. But there's a lot of people who come in with just the love for it that actually don't have that naturally creative, but they learn that roadmap and they are the most technically beautifully performing stylist I have ever seen in my life you know they follow yeah. the rules and then after the rules they'll go in and break them within their realm of possibility so I really feel like for anybody it's a it can be a learned thing it just happened to come very naturally to me along with talking I'm Argentine and Jewish so like <laughs> it's my birthright to overly gab <laughs> yeah I think I like the other side of that too, is there's a lot of stylists that are like perfectly competent at what they do, but they're so personable that people just want to spend time in their chair, whether they have the most amazing, you know, skills, technical skills or not, you know, there's people making six figures and doing like, okay hair, but these Girl, people like them. The men make more money in our industry than anybody else and the reason why i figured it out i've like cracked mm -hmm. the code is because every woman wants a man to tell her that she's hot right so you can do the shittiest haircut but if you do the most incredible blow dry right and then at the end you're touching her and you're like oh my gosh girl this looks so good and you're flipping that hair around she's like 
yes, yes, I do look good. And then she goes home to her husband and she's like, baby, look at me. Feeling it. And he's mm-hmm. like, yes, because she's feeling herself. And it's this whole chain reaction. He's handing over the credit card. You go back and see that guy whenever you want, you know? And that's a big part of it. I've seen some really crap haircuts also. And those men just <laughs> cash in. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. The person that I apprentice under and the salon that I worked for was a guy and he could sell ice to an Eskimo and all day long, he was actually a really good hairdresser, but yeah, people would call in and they'd say, you know, I just really prefer a male stylist. I think they, I just think they know my hair better. I'm like, mm-hmm. I think they know how to stroke your ego better is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I can tell you you're pretty uh-huh. all day long, but if a guy tells you you're pretty, it's just, it just cuts differently. It's much yeah. more believable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Isn't that so funny? It's, it's psychology, baby. It's all about the psychology. Oh my, my mom, I, yeah. I, there's a show, um, I think it's called LA Hair or something. My mom was watching it last night and she's like, his hand is on her knee. Why is he talking to her like that? I'm like, mom, <laughs> they love it. You know, she's happy They're to be there because she knows the treatment that she's getting. Yes. Totally, totally. Yep. It's not just hair so for sure. Right. So, so after you apprenticed, then um, you didn't have to sit assist at all. Did you go on to like a no, rental I did. salon? I, I you did. did assist again. Yeah, I assisted. So I really wanted to work in Beverly Hills. That's where I wanted to be. I knew that that's where I wanted my career to like pump. I wanted to do, you know, TV stuff and I wanted to do, I wanted to kind of grow as much as I could Mm -hmm. possibly grow in the industry and build a name. So I went to Beverly Hills. I assisted at Juan Juan Salon. Um, It was an incredible experience. I have made, I made some incredible like relationships with people who I'm still friends with today. Mind you, I've been doing hair for 20 years. So it's been 18 years of relationship with these guys and it's super cool because most of us that were all assisting together now all own our own salons. Oh so, my gosh, cool. Yeah, it's really cool to see how that grew, you know. I mean, now it's different because of COVID, but everybody, you know, moved on to be very successful. So I assisted in a salon. I assisted um, two incredible stylists that were educators for Fidel Sassoon, as well as the owner Um, I kind of did all three of them on a rotation. I loved being an assistant. I was really freaking good at it. Um, I'm a really good multitasker. So I was just like, you know, set them up, go. But I remember like holiday time in between my fingers would bleed, you know, because you wouldn't be assisting. You would literally just be sitting at the shampoo bowl, washing hair, towel, gone wash hair towel gone and if you dried your hands between they would crack and bleed and you know figuring out just with the tips you made whether you were going to eat a pastrami subway sandwich or you were going (laughs) to pay for your parking like you had to choose you know which one you were going to do for the day and it was totally shit money but it was the experience that I gained from training with those stylists is something, I mean, I've been doing extensions now for 18 years of my career because I assisted to Matt, like people who were some of the first people to do like, you know, the bead extensions in Beverly Mm -hmm. Hills. So, you know, the experience I gained was unbelievable. I worked there for five years um, before I left and um, 
you know, I just, it, it was a long time. The cool thing was, was I was at that salon in Beverly Hills for three years and then they branched out and opened another salon. And then we were there for a while. So it was always changing and I got really bored really quickly. I can't do the same thing for way too long. I need to, um, uh, I'm not comfortable being stagnant. I always want to be growing and learning. And if everything gets redundant, I'm like, I'm out. So I left that salon and I actually moved back to Hawaii and tried to live here. It was an experience, you know, in California, there's so many hairstylists and there's so many incredible salons. I mean, I'm talking, there's probably like eight salons on one block of bad ass hairstylists, you know, and each one is stuffed. And so we would all go and smoke in the back and there's an alley and each salon would come back and we'd like look at each other, like, you know, the different (laughs) gangs. Eyeing people's up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, to the other gang down the street, but we, um, I ended up coming back here and it was like all of a sudden, you know, big fish in a tiny pond where, you know, big fish and big pond, nobody, it took a year or two to start building your clientele. I came here and was booked solid in less than three months. And what, so did you seek out a salon before you got here or you looked for something and were you, I mean, you had no clients, right? Or did you have just friends and family? So I had no clients, but I grew up here, you know, for the most part. And I, the, where I live, there's one salon per town. So it's very easy for when to catch that there's a stylist from Beverly Hills. And then people come in and they're like, Nicole's back. She's been working in LA. She's been working in Beverly Hills. And it just caught like wildfire really quickly. Um, but it was very boring here as far as like outside life. I wasn't ready mm-hmm. to be here. So I packed up and moved down to Mexico for a year. Oh, wow. <laughs> Where in Mexico? Um, I moved down to Huatulco. It's like down kind of by Guatemala where Mexico turns south. Oh, yeah. So I went down there, lived down there. And, you know, I had my scissor case and I did hair to make some money and just kind of cruised. You don't need a lot to be able to live down there. And that was exciting and until it wasn't. And I decided to move back to Beverly Hills and I worked at um with Joseph Martin salon on Rodeo and um fell in love with Peter Ishkon who was like a sister salon to them and moved over there for a little bit and that was a really short time span you know I was kind of trying to feel out what salon I wanted to be a part of I didn't really want to commit to anything but after committing to Peter Ishkan Salon and like absolutely falling in love with him, his style, you know, he has his TV show. Uh, he's done a lot of really cool things and he's just an incredible human. If you don't follow him or know him at all, he is just like magical. I love that human. Um, but I got pregnant with my first son. So that was pretty much the end of Beverly Hills in Los Angeles for me. I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to raise my kid home. You know, this is where my mom lives here. My dad's here. All of my best friends are here. And it was just, that was my cue. It's time to go home. (laughs) Yeah. Kids will put roots on you pretty fast, huh? (laughs) Very quickly. Yeah. And it takes a village. I mean, anybody that is like trying to do it on their own, it takes a village. Yeah. 
yeah, take advantage. So you move back. Did you go back to the same salon that you were at before? I did. I went back to that salon and again, it only took about a month before I was booked solid again. Um, and it was great. You know, at that point I was just looking for some stability. So I was making enough money. Um, my husband at the time, well, he wasn't my husband at the time we were to get married, but that my baby daddy, um, <laughs> came with me and, you know, he was having a hard time finding work. And so I was able to kind of float the boat for us, you know, and do the whole deal. I worked all the way up until the day before I had my son. And I went back to work two weeks after my C-section. What? Oh my gosh. How? How? I've had two kids and I'm like, oh God. I, I, I mean, physically, maybe, mentally, no, good it luck was if you were my client. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So he was still not able to find work for quite some time. So there wasn't really any options or a choice. I just kind of had to do what I had to do. And I felt super grateful that I loved what I did and that I yeah. got to do what I loved, like that I basically, that I had to do what I loved, that I didn't mm -hmm. have to do something else that I hated yeah. to be able to do it. At least I got to be somewhere that made me feel good. Um, so yeah, yeah, I went back to work very quickly. Um, and we, we were jamming, we were jamming for a while. And, um, I, I lived in one town and worked in another town. And one day I was walking around in the town that I lived in and I ran into a guy and I said, Hey, what are you doing in here? He was in a commercial space and he's like, I'm actually opening a salon. He was the manager of the big resort here salon mm -hmm. and he said I'm going into business for myself and I said well you want to rent a chair to me because I'd love to be right here you know because it was easier yeah. with my son and my husband at the time would bring my son to me and I would nurse him in between clients yeah. rin rinsing the boob off in the shampoo bowl <laughs> <laughs> getting him back off to dad and you know and handling business we were working oh my gosh that worked out timing that's amazing so I how long now and now our clients how is it there i mean do they have any trouble with like going town to town like orange county is so big but people love their little bubble like nobody really wants to travel to do anything how is it like yeah. on the island so our bubble is kind of the north shore um it's a three towns deep, like three or four towns deep. So people will travel within that bubble. But by the time um, I had started working at that salon, I was pretty much maxed out. You know, I was trying to only work three days a week, but I was pulling 10, 12 hour days mm -hmm. on those three days a week. And so I decided I was going to kind of spread it out a little and do five shorter days, which you know how that never happened. It never ends right? up that way. Yeah. Yeah. Nope, once you open working, yourself up to that, you're like, I'll just do one more. Sure. I'll stay later to finish that. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're praying to the hair gods that a freaking highlight lift so that you can go and make dinner for your family. I'm like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, I ended up getting pregnant with my second son and I decided that it was time that I expanded my business and I offered to buy the salon that I was working in at that time. And he wasn't interested. 
And so I opened a retail store. At that time, our salon didn't really have any retail. So I decided to open a separate beauty boutique uh, with a girlfriend of mine. We op it was a 200 square foot store. We sold shampoos, conditioners. We had a blowout chair. Um, we sold makeup, kind of bath and body, just kind of really like high-end, nice brands. Mm -hmm. And our store ended up pumping out half a million in our first year. Amazing. It was insane. So there was definitely a lack of that. We kind of found the hole in the market up here. Mm -hmm. And I had my second son during that time. So two kids deep, working in the salon, working, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I also at that time decided that I was going to start an apprenticeship program because I wanted to be able to give back. Yeah. So there wasn't really one happening on the island um, at that time. So I decided to start that. And I, so I had a full-time person that I was training and just to keep myself up on my education too. You know, I feel like in order to really learn something, you need to teach it. And sometimes you surprise yourself on how you're able to explain what you've been doing for all this time, mm -hmm. because it kind of just becomes second nature. Yep. And I'm like, I actually have an explanation for this. Like, <laughs> so what we're going to do first, and then you find yourself not cutting corners, right? Yeah. So a stylist, like the more you do something, you know that you can break a little rule. So then you step over that line a little, and then a little, and then a little, and a little, and a little. And after 10 years, you're like, just throwing some magic dust on it, <laughs> pops out beautiful. No idea how that happened. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, you're like shocked to yourself. You know, every client you're like, oh, I did that. <laughs> I am so good. Does everybody see how good I am, you know? Um, but going back to being a trainer, being able to teach someone else something, you really have to get down into dissecting it again. Mm -hmm. And it was a really great experience for me behind the chair to go back to, you know, number one, giving back that the way that people were able to give to me, you know, just with that, um, giving back to my community because there is no hair school on this island. You would have to leave oh, okay. the island if you wanted to go to hair school. Um, and then also like kind of transitioning myself because listen to me, I don't want to be an 80 year old stylist telling people what's hot anymore. Like, frankly, I don't even want to be a 65 year old stylist. Yes, I will probably be a 65 year old stylist, but I don't want to be the person like trying to tell people what's hot. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Oh girl. Oh girl. This is in fashion. This is in style. And I, I just don't want to do that. And hairdressers, we're lifers, you know, we're very similar to being in the um, restaurant industry, you know, we're, we're all, um, you know, still working for that tip girl. So, <laughs> you know, we're like, but, but what we get to do is just so fulfilling in so many different avenues, you know, where, and to be able to give that gift to somebody else was like, for me, a really, a really big deal. Yeah. So that was cool. Did you have any hesitation, like, as far as the commitment? Because two years, you know, you've kind of, like, jumped around and done different things and opened different stores. Did you ever feel like, oh, okay, now I really have to be here for two years for this other person that I'm teaching? Um, no, because I had opened my retail store at this time, like, I had had the two kids. 
I mean, I started doing hair when I was 17, right? So at that time, you're young, you're having fun, you want to experience things. And I did spend a big portion of my career at Juan Juan, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and w- once I started like getting a taste of like being able to live and use my scissors wherever, I really wanted to kind of experience all the things. Yeah. So, um, but at that time I, you know, had the retail store, I had the two kids, I had my clientele, um, and, uh, I had become a single mom. So, um, my ex-husband suffered from some personal issues, um, with addiction and stuff that was just really hard for him to, uh, beat off. So he ended up leaving and moving to a different state quite far away. So I was left with a two-year-old and a five-year-old um, by myself working that business and, um, you know, and doing the hair and just trying to figure it all out. And so it was, it was really nice to have that, you know, that's yeah. like always been my constant is my scissors. Like I've always known that I can make money no matter what, doing what I love, you know, with the people I love. And so at that time, it was just like, this is where, this is where my heart is, you know? Mm -hmm. And as soon as my heart feels called somewhere else, I move. I'm not, I'm not big on, I'm a Gemini. (laughs) (laughs) Enough said. Let me just throw that out there that I don't have to explain anymore. (laughs) Let's tie that up with a bow. Yeah. So funny. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have, like, when you have something that is motivating you in that way, and not that you can't have a completely fulfilling career and work really hard if you don't have kids or anything, but, like, you know, when your life depends on it, when other lives depend on it, it's certainly going to motivate. And when you love it, that that helps a lot, too. It does. It does. Um, So, yeah, I... um, you know, it obviously as a single mom, it kind of became a little overwhelming to be managing my store, um, having a full situation there and, um, and working at the salon and trying to juggle and manage two kids, two schedules, you know, and they were very young, so it was very expensive. So I decided that we were going to let go of the retail store and I was going to buy my salon, um, because he was ready to give it up. So we had, we had kind of outgrown the space that we were in. It needed a remodel. He wasn't really, you know, vested into putting any more money into it. So I was like, I'll take on the project. And that's what I did. I sold the salon. I sold the the beauty boutique, um, turned it for a profit, which was great and bought my salon and we turned it into a freaking little Mecca in our town. I mean, it was popping. We had incredible stylists. Um, the hair that was coming out of there was incredible. You know, we had stylists from New York. We had some people who had left and gone to school. We had apprentices, we had world travelers. And so we, you know, we catered to a lot of different people. We were bringing out different stylists to come and do education mm-hmm. and, you know, really feeding off of each other. and just trying to really maximize on, you know, the excitement of having something new and fun. And that was super fun also, but again, all consuming, you know? So as you're trying, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say, like, do you think like your experience of owning the retail shop, did you have any like hiccups along the way, figuring out how to own a business in that way and then kind of translate it into a salon? And then what did it look like trying to figure out, you know, because it's easy to like think that you can do it and think that you know all the things when you're behind the chair and then you open a business and you're like, oh, this is a little different, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So... I'm a long story longer, funny story. Um, I actually, you know, I didn't graduate high school. I never went to college. My degree is in people. I have, you know, clients and I listen. I listen really carefully. I've had business owners, entrepreneurs, doctors, lawyers. I mean, I have everybody in my seat for free information and I will pull all information out of your cute little head all day long. And you'll pay me for it. That's right. And so, um, you know, I actually learned uh, how to start a business on YouTube. I Googled the difference between an LLC, an S Corp, a Corp, you know, all the different things, how to make a franchise. And I Googled everything. I watched a bunch of videos on it. I found an app on an iPad that was um, hysterical. It's called uh, the Business (laughs) Premier, Business Premier app. And I wrote out my whole business plan, you guys. It's a, it has a, like a template and it will say like, for example, you know, you're, I'm a nonprofit or I'm a for-profit business located at da, 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 da. I would copy, paste and fill in my information. At the end of it, you can press print and it will print you out a real business plan. I put on my pencil skirt and my blouse and I walked my cute little butt into the bank with an iPad app business plan. And they handed me the money to start my own business. Amazing. Crazy. I'm like, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> like, I did it. <laughs> I don't know how I I totally them tricked them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you should have seen me. I swear, I ran to my car when they said, yeah, you have the money. Before I'm they like, say no. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, before they figure out who they just gave that money to, like, I'm out of here. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, but it was great. And it was definitely a learning experience, but we were, you know, um, somehow we landed a contract with Estee Lauder and Estee Lauder had been closed to small distribution for five years, but I got an interview with them and I pitched them myself and my business partner and they accepted our offer. And so we got to bring in some super high-end brands into our little beauty boutique. And it was like a little mini Sephora. We carried New Face, Smashbox, Juice Beauty, um, uh, Margot Elena, uh, Jane Iredale. You know, we had like really good products, but we had some big name brands also. Yeah. So people took us seriously, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any idea how much it was going to cost to start a salon or to renovate and how all that was going to look? Or did you just kind of like throw a number out there? No. So I actually have, I call them my board board of advisors in life. So I have like spiritual counselors, people who are really good at relationship count, like counsel, you know, like not just couples relationships, like human relation, you know, I'm irritated with my mom. Well, let's look at your part, you know, and just accountability holders to myself. I'm a big fan of calling myself out on my bullshit um, because I have a lot of it. And so, um, 
you know, it's always going to be work working on ourselves. And so I've always really been into personal development, but I have, you know, being a hairstylist, I have an attorney that has been a very close friend of mine that has helped guide me through a lot of things. And I'll call them, you know, for questions and this and that, and, you know, whatever it is and, you know, business people. And my aunt is an incredible businesswoman, And so, you know, I would bounce things off of her. She would play devil's advocate. She actually told me not to do it she's like you're not going to make enough money for it to be worth it I'm all even if I made a thousand dollars a month it would be worth it because at that time a thousand dollars would make a huge difference in my life you know um now I wouldn't do it for ten thousand a month like it just wouldn't you know but but not knowing that uh, we opened our first business for sixty thousand dollars we sold it for a profit um and then my second business cost me a hundred thousand dollars to open I had no idea it would cost that much, but you know, you, before saying I wanted to buy it, right? So I had to buy Mm -hmm. a business and then I had to do the build out, but I priced everything out beforehand to make sure that I asked for enough money so that I was kind of covered with a little bit of a cushion because I knew you always know that you're going to go over no matter what. Right. Something behind that wall with the renovation, you know, behind the wall. This is prettier than that. Of course, it's more expensive. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah so. exactly. Hi, oh, sweetie. Hi. <laughs> can, we, can I go there today? Sure. I'm going to go. Bye. I'm going to get my socks on. Okay. Sorry. So cute. <laughs> <laughs> So, so um, long that that brings us probably pretty close to present time, yeah. Pretty close to present. Um, you know, during the times that I was going through all of that, you know, owning my own businesses and you know just being a stylist behind the chair, you know, we get pitched shit all the time, all the time. You should try this. And, you know, a lot of times, like, I want to know what you're using, you know, like, Mm -hmm. what is it that you got? Where'd you get this? What are you putting Mm -hmm. on your this? Like, why is your face so pretty? Why are your toenails that color? You know, I have lots of questions. We have lots of things to talk about. Um, And the same goes with my clients. They're always asking me, like, you know, what am I going to use for this? Who can I talk to to help me with this? Um, You know, we're always, we're just great connectors. That's what we are. We're these little mini hubs of information. Um, I've always been a really firm believer in product education and home care for clients because I grew Mm -hmm. up in that culture from day one. Um, Clients should not be getting, you know, two hours of my time, of my creative time that I'm pouring into you away from my family, nonetheless, um, for you to go home and wash your hair with shitty stuff. Like it's just never been part of the the deal. You know, the deal is I take care of you. You take care of your investment. Um, And that's like a non-negotiable for me and my clients. But in the same sense, I've never been a salesperson. um, Number one, because I hate being sold. I hate, hate being sold. If I know someone's trying to sell me something, I will automatically turn off and not listen. But if you're sharing with me about the stuff that you love, I've got all kinds of questions. Like, I want to know the skinny. I want to know the tea. I will order it. I will try it. I am not a returner. So I'll gift it to a friend or a client. (laughs) I think that would like it, you know, Um, because I don't like clutter in my, in my space either. So, you know, it's just constantly, (laughs) I like it. I hate it, whatever. 
Um, but I, I just really hated that. But I had some girlfriends who approached me and my business partner at the time on um, this network marketing company. You know, they were like, listen to me, it's don't worry about what it is. It's an amazing product. But the um, what what you're what we're explaining to you is it's a ground level opportunity. Like you could literally become a millionaire in seven years, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, okay. Okay. But I was down <laughs> for a trip. They were all going on a trip and I said, well, I'll go on your trip and really check it out and see if you guys are for real. So I did, I went on that trip with them and I had an incredible time and I really saw the vision and I was actually shocked to learn that, you know, um, the network marketing industry is one of the highest paid industries in the world. It's like a two, almost, what is that? $176 billion industry. There are more millionaire women that come out of that industry than any other. Like just some things really that really bad. blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a fact. That's a statistic. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, that's so cool. Super awesome. But again, like not for me, I'm a right. business owner. Yes. I do hair. Mm -hmm. I only use professional products. Yep. Right. Well, but this was a supplement too. And I am like okay. through and through a hairdresser. I smoke, I drink rock stars. I eat at two <laughs> o'clock every day. I right. eat faster than any, my husband, when I first met my, my current husband, he was like, where's the food? I'm like, I ate it. Like, I didn't even, I didn't even see it land on the plate. I'm like, we just need to get it done. You know, it's just another thing on the schedule that we have to shove whatever we're <laughs> eating, just open the throat and down the hatchet. You know, there's no, so, um, at that time that wasn't for me, but we are again in a small community. They're very close friends of ours. And, um, within four years, they had made a substantial monthly income and they stopped working and they kept collecting that check every single month. Wow. And I was like, dang it, <laughs> I missed the boat. Like mm -hmm. whatever, fine, you know, can't, you can't cry over missed opportunities. But meanwhile, you know, my clients, my clientele, you know, here, I don't know if you know anything about Kauai, but we're a very boutique town. We're like a little, little mini Hamptons, you know, the properties are, quite expensive. We have a lot of celebrities, a lot of um, big business owners here, like, you know, brands and names that you guys use every single day. Um, they're all my clients. And so listening to them, it's the same story, right? We collect yeah. these stories and it's over and over again. I was doing this. Somebody offered me an opportunity. I jumped on it, happened to work out. I jumped, uh, someone offered me an opportunity. I ate top ramen for two years, ate shit, but then it worked out. And they're like living in these multi-million dollar properties. And I'm sitting there like, I just wish I could have an opportunity like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're walking by every day, the salon. And by this time, um, you know, fast, this is seven years later, these girls have been sitting pretty for four years. You know, right. so like the time for crying is over. They're, they're living their <laughs> life. We're all very happy for them doing what they do, you know? And um, so we, uh, so I'm, you know, talking to my clients, but at this time, you guys, I'm so busy, you know, I'm working five, um, five days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day behind the chair. I hadn't taken a new client in three years. I'm booked solid. There is no room on my books for new clients. I'm constantly turning down people or giving them to assistants and apprentices and this person and that person. And what very quickly happened is 
you know, all of that success that I had been working so hard for, I had capped out. I capped yeah. out. I couldn't make me and I've raised my prices and I've raised my prices and I've raised my prices. And at a certain point, like it, it just didn't feel good anymore. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm not going to charge you $500 for a haircut. I still like care enough about the people in my chair that the people who can't afford that, and I'm not going to do a sliding scale. I'm not going to charge people more because they have more money. You know, right. and I'm not going to charge just like I'm not going to charge someone with more hair more for a haircut than <laughs> I'm going to charge the woman who comes in who's half bald. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not uh, fair. So, um, you know, I had capped out. I was working brutal hours and um, I had met a new man who is absolutely gorgeous. He's not here right now, but check her Instagram. There's lots of eye candy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I had met this magical man, you know, I owned the business, I drove the car I wanted to drive, I had just bought my house, um, you know, everything on the outside looked really good, but I was starting to um, miss the two hour, three hour client, like the balayage or the whatever, a client, the client literally, when you meet your max, when you hit your peak, the, the most you can be doing, the most slammed, your books are amazing, you're making big money behind the chair. I mean, I made a multiple six-figure income behind the chair my in 2019. I mean, I did way over 300 and something thousand behind the chair by myself. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so I mean, I was doing well, and I had, but I had maxed out. And so yeah. all of a sudden, the client became a number, right? It was just, Root touch up blowout. This that highlight this. And I'm like, do you want to do anything different? And they're like, no, oh, I love what I'm doing. And I'm like, great. So basically, I just became a conveyor belt. You know, I had lost because I wasn't able to take new clients. And frankly, like my my timing wouldn't allow me to take a new client because you can't walk in and I've never seen you before. Like it would have to be mm -hmm. a consultation and and then you'd have to get exactly what you're asking for. You know, there was just no more it had lost that like luster, you know, yeah. and I was missing that part of, um, of, my, of the reason why I fell in love with hair in the first place, you know? And mm -hmm. so clients would walk by the window and they'd be like, Hey, how's it going? You know? And my answer for the last three years has always been, Oh, you know, just living the dream. <laughs> and like yeah. super cynical, like <laughs> super like bitchy, you know, but like, you know, trying to be funny about it at the same time, you know, and they're like, oh, can I get you anything, you know, offering me a coffee or a, you know, $12 juice. And I'm like, uh, yeah, you can get me something. I'll take your life. I'll take your car. I'll take your bank account. I'll take your nanny per kid. I'll take, I'll take it all. I'll take all of that. And you can have this chair, you know, oh. like at that point, like I had just kind of become a little bit of a cynical nightmare. I mean, I was coming up on my 20 years behind the chair and, you know, I had, I had just kind of capped out on all of that. And so, you know, just being who I am and excited about life in general, uh, my old business partner from the beauty bar called me and said, listen to me, I need to talk to you about something really important. So you remember seven years ago when our friends jumped into that opportunity and I was like, yeah, why, what's going on? She's like, I found another one. 
And I was like, oh God, I'm like, all right, whatever. Just freaking throw it in. You know, I'm already <laughs> super busy, but what is it? And she goes, what's well, one I'm, more thing? Yeah. <laughs> she goes, well, I'm really glad you asked because it's actually in your wheel well. It's an anti-aging, vegan, cruelty-free hair care line um, that has scientific backing to be a game changer in the hair industry. It's one of the fastest growing hair care companies in the world. And um, I had already seen it three years ago at the hair show because we go to the hair show every year to stay up on education. And um, it just, it was very irritating, but we decided to bring it into the salon um, and, you know, work with it, see if we loved it. Why the hell not? Right. I'm doing hair anyway. I'm trying all these different products from the beauty supply store and all different kinds of places anyway. So we brought it in and, um, very quickly fell in love with the product and people just started taking it. They started asking for it. We started moving and I decided to really look into, um, you know, navigating the business part of that. That's just who I am. And within four months, I was able to replace my full-time income behind the chair. Four months? Four months. Oh my gosh. So um, I decided that I was going to sell the salon and I was going to work for fun again. I wanted to tap back into that, you know, three day a week, show up, do a couple people, have one freelance day where it's all people I don't know, you know, just really like get juicy with the clients again and not need the overhead and the business and the money and the grind. Yeah. Yeah. So I put my salon on the market and five days after I put my salon on the market, it closed down due to COVID. Oh my gosh. And I haven't been back to the salon since it's been nine months. Wow. Wow. But I mean, what amazing timing too, that this opportunity came your way. You were able to kind of like give it a go while you were still in the moment and keep working. Your salon's been closed nine months and you've been working and earning an income the entire time. I have. And you know, the thing about it is, is that, you know, if you're a stylist that's unopened to change, <laughs> then you're probably not a great stylist anyway. If you're not into trying everything, into looking into everything, into playing with everything, and, you know, if you're not open to everything, then it, it just, you're blowing it, number one. Number two, there are more millionaire girls who are not in our demog, I mean, we're hairstylists, we're licensed yep. hairstylists. They're selling shampoo, our specialty, our wheelhouse, and they are taking all of our money. And yeah. I was like, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. I'm coming in hot. Um, yeah. And I did. And I really fell in love with the community. It's like, you know, I do what I do behind the chair, but on a mass scale. And this morning I got to do a few clients, you know, on my own time, how I wanted it to look. And we played and we talked and it was so great. I didn't have any client coming up next. And now I just get to do hair for fun. And I get that paycheck that rolls in every single month for the work that I did a month ago, three months ago. Now it's been 15 months and it has been the most um, extraordinary experience, especially because we're doing this anyway. And now I'm going to get paid for it for the rest of my life where I worked for 20 years to have to be behind the chair more. Mm -hmm. I worked so hard to have to kill myself. And now I get to 
like work and get paid to not have to work so much in the future. And so I'm really looking forward to the next few years of, you know, hair and, and this, you know, opportunity that I jumped into and just kind of the transformation, because the thing is times are changing. And unless yep. we change, you're, you're, you know, you'll have to figure it out and you'll probably end up crying and complaining about the way things were or whatever, or you'll adapt and you'll bust a move. Not everything is going to be for everyone, but mm -hmm. this one just happened to be the right one for me. And I took the steps through the door. Same thing as when I was sitting in that salon, you know, getting my hair done. I Hold on one that. second. Yeah, no problem. I have another call scheduled right after this. Mm -hmm. Right at that hour. I mean, I mean, that's pretty much a full circle anyway. So in conclusion, <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting. So best advice for anybody that's feeling stuck right now and is thinking about taking an opportunity, what would you say to just be like, just go for it? Um, so, you know, you want to think about what you have to lose. Like, honestly, what do you have to lose by, you know, doing, doing certain things? And the reality is, you guys, is that this is not dress rehearsal. I am 20 years older than I was when I first started doing hair in, in this industry, right? You only get one life. So if yeah. you don't take advantage of every opportunity, how is, how is any of them going to pan out? You know, and that was something that I learned from listening to all of these people over and over and over again was that they took this opportunity and it bombed. But who cares? They lost maybe a year. They lost maybe three months. They lost maybe you know, whatever, right? Yeah. But you don't, you don't ever get that time back and you can't get to the good experiences unless you get through the bad ones. Some people get lucky and hit it on the first, sure. you know? So you just never know which one that's going to be. But unless you keep, you can open as many doors as you want, but unless you walk through those doors, you know, Tony Robbins talks about this all the time. Um, you know, uh, and, and Gary V is actually, I just listened to this yeah. whole talk that he just did on this, where he's like, you can sit on your couch and wish all day for a million dollars, but unless it's coupled with action and ambition, like get real, you know? And I feel like yeah. us behind the chair, like we're pretty realists, you know, like we don't, we live in a real world. We see so many different things and opportunities and experiences all the time happen for other people. But like, when's it your turn? You know, yeah. I'm not saying throw everything to the wind. Obviously, I wouldn't sell my house and just throw my kids out in the cold. But I'm always open to listening to different things, different opportunities. And unless you try new things, and especially now, you're not going to have an option. You're going to have to try new things. There's totally. no more like making a decision on whether or not you want to do something. Yep. You know, you're going to have to do something. We're all being force fed to do things, but I'm really grateful that I didn't have to get force fed it because I probably would have fought it for a lot longer than I needed to because I'm yeah. just that defiant child. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm victim of it. But, you know, really, what do you have to lose? You don't get another shot at today, at tomorrow, at any of it. So what the hell, right? What the hell? We have nothing thing to lose um and if you do have a lot to lose look for another option 
Yeah. You know, that yeah, was it has to be the right opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not saying be an idiot, you know, but for me with <laughs> this thing, it already fit into what I was doing. You know, there was no cost of doing business. There was no any kind of um, extra. It was just an additional opportunity. It wasn't going to yeah. take anything else from me. It fit into my life. And so yeah. God made it very easy for me to walk through that door. I love that. Well, thanks so much for being here with us and so much great advice. Where can people find you on social media? Um, my Instagram is X Q, like curly Q. So K O L I E Q. Um, and then another X you'll find me. My name is Nicole Pacheco and that is pretty much the only social media besides Facebook that I use right now. Perfect. And I'll like link everything in the show notes for you guys. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you liked it, and I know you did, please don't forget to leave a five-star review. I love hearing from other stylists, so take a screenshot of the episode and tag me in it at Mindful Hair by Emily. If you have a story to share and would like to be on a future episode, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. We'll see you guys next Monday with more Stories with Stylists.